0: From St. Louis, Missouri, this is Strangers to Fiction, a podcast
1: about documentary storytelling, and my name's Bill Streeter. And my name is Jacob Mackindoller, and today we're going to start looking at the career of Ken Burns by looking at his 1981 documentary,
2: Brooklyn Bridge. Thought wouldn't it be great to do a documentary film that was not only what McCullough did the story of the construction but also appreciate this bridge as an icon so there'd be a two-part film and I, I, I... You know, I was then 22, 23 years old. I looked like I was 12, and I started to go out and try to sell people the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, and most of them thought, a film about a bridge, this should be five or ten minutes. I mean, that's what they thought it should be. That's what films about bridges, that's how long they were. And I've said, no, I don't know how I could keep it to an hour. It was this incredibly dramatic story. and. Uh, Not only that, I wanted to tell the story of the construction. I wanted to do it with first-person voices. Uh, I had this idea that why have just a single voice-of-God narrator when you could have first-person voices reading newspaper accounts or letters or diaries or journals that could help bring alive. They they would read it off camera. And then rather than hold old photographs at arm's length, which is what everybody did, why not go inside them to the reality that my still-photographer teachers had reminded me these suggested. And so that old feature filmmaker, And me was awakened, that each photograph represented a a long shot, uh, the master shot, uh, a filmmaker would say, uh, from which one could do the long, the medium, the close, the extreme close-up, the pan, the tilt, the pull-out, the zoom-in, whatever it was. And so I found myself putting up photographs on on an easel system that we invented. Two by four with a groove in it, a piece of metal, and got magnets from the hardware store. And we'd go into archives painstakingly, one at a time, wearing gloves, and put up a photograph and then go inside. That photograph with our camera on a tripod with close-up lenses and and will it alive and then once we got into the editing room to use period music and complicated sound effects you know it was the euphemism of a documentary film that it was just one single effects track if at all the tramp 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 of Nazi soldiers going through Paris that was it Uh, a distant gun going off we wanted complex things and indeed when I finished the film I think it's still probably the highest compliment I ever got. We had the premiere at the Brooklyn Museum and there was a lady in the audience and she said, wherever did you get the footage, the film, of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge? I said, ma'am, it was built between 1869 and 1883. There was no there was no motion picture she goes no 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 i, I saw the footage and i said well we did use later on in part two footage that edison had shot in 1900 on a, on a long completed bridge She goes no 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 i'm talking about the boats that brought the big blocks of stone in and the derricks that lifted them up and all of that that film and i said ma'am those were still photographs and she looked at me and she said no they weren't and they were and that to me was the opening up of the possibility of what we could do with history
1: All right, so The Brooklyn Bridge. Had you seen this before?
0: I, you know, I have not. I've only seen bits
1: and pieces of it in the okay. past. Okay, yeah. I hadn't seen it before either. Um, it's pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty boring film. Yeah.
0: It's, uh,
3: <laughs> you know, but I think that in, I fairness, liked it though.
1: in fairness, when I sat down to watch this, my. My kids were in the room with me. Yeah. And I kind of just was like, I was like, if you guys want to be in here, I'm going to watch this. You're going to have to watch it with me. Yeah. And normally they don't watch these films with me. Yeah. And they, you know, they were, well, one of them fell asleep. The other one was, like every five minutes, going, Daddy, how much longer is is this thing? You know how much? Uh, so I think that kind of. So you didn't really, you didn't really give it a fair shake. Well, I mean, I I did. I watched it, but I think they influenced me because you uh, know it's like if you show somebody a video on your phone or something yeah, you really yeah, like, yeah. It, and suddenly you're like self conscious. So I'm watching it instead of just really taking it in. I was kind yeah, of watching. It, that's what I mean. Like what yeah, they're thinking. I kind about of
0: feel it. like if you're gonna be talking about these things, you should <laughs> kind of watch it without distraction. Well. In, i think you kind of owe it to the yeah. if you're going to talk about it i mean it's one thing if you just happen to see it on tv that's a boring movie right and then a whole nother one is like i'm going to talk about this in this podcast and, <laughs> so you're saying
1: i'm not qualified to talk about
0: this i don't far. know i don't know <laughs> if you can you're, i don't think you're qualified to fairly
1: say that it's boring all right well, although
0: i i have to say it's not it's not the most exciting documentary you ever watched. well i actually sure. i
1: wanted to just say that in the beginning because yeah. Because we're going to talk about Ken Burns, and I think the stereotype of Ken Burns is that it's kind of dry and kind of dull. Because Now, I don't agree with that. There's a lot of Ken Burns stuff that I, I really like, but he is a historical documentary filmmaker. So he makes films that are the retelling of historical events. Mm-hmm. And this one, Brooklyn Bridge, was the first film that he ever did on his own. And it is the kind of beginning of Ken Burns' style of ken burns
0: who's yeah. an iconic really a modern iconic filmmaker yeah
1: and i think that watching
0: this film in the context of 2020 and knowing who ken burns is and his and knowing all the great things that he went on to do and then going back and watching this early film of his mm-hmm. before he wasn't a cultural icon you know he is a cultural icon yeah. in the u.s they apple named a an yeah, effect the, after the Ken Burns you know. effect. I, I yeah. heard him. So, I saw an
1: interview of him talking about that. So
0: yeah, and you know, it, so I think going back and watching this, this movie is very underwhelming. It's his first right. film. It's a. It's about an hour long, but I think you do see the emergence of a different kind of documentary storytelling,
1: and that's the important. That's the historical significance. of Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, and I
0: think at the time you wouldn't have thought this was a necessarily a super boring documentary.
1: Yeah, I agree, and you can see the pieces that become the Ken Burns style in place here. You know, you can see it. Yeah, everything's there, Yeah, just about. Yeah, yeah, it's all of the, you know, you have a lot of steel (laughs) photographs where he's kind of panning and zooming across the photographs. Actually,
0: there was no panning and zooming in the photographs in this film.
1: There was at least one. There might have been. I, 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 I didn't. There was at least one. I didn't I notice noticed. any. But
0: yeah. that's one of the notes that I made halfway through the film. I was like, "There's no movement on the photographs." And because that's,
1: that's so, what he's. Not, that's what the Ken Burns yes. effect is. Is him. Painting the idea a that you, still which seems
0: so obvious now, but back then in 1980, 40
1: years ago, right? crazy of, to think that. First of all, 40 years ago. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but zooming in on a photograph, on, a, on details on a photograph, was was actually lot like technically more difficult to do back then but it was also not an obvious choice to do you know it wasn't done that often and a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was technically kind of complicated to do so you saw very little of it in this film almost none you say there's one shot I didn't
1: notice there was a particular one to me because I I think subconsciously I was looking out for that the whole time because you kind of do that with the the Ken Burns effect being a thing and and his style you kind of look out for that when you watch his film so I, I did notice at least one, but then there's that and then there's the, you know, another thing that, that he does a lot is narration and he does a, a mix of narrators. So he's kind of got a, a, a voice of God that's kind of narrating the film in general, but then he has actors that he's hired to, yeah. to read people's personal diaries and first person
0: first person stuff
1: yeah performances yeah exactly and those were all there and that's what you see in a lot of ken burns documentaries you know so you definitely see the pieces so you know by saying it's boring i was really just making a joke you know because i think you're right in today's context it's very underwhelming i won't say it's boring and i think because i think it's an interesting film and i think you could make a much more interesting film about the brooklyn bridge and and also i hadn't seen it before but i have read a lot about the brooklyn bridge before so i I knew a lot of the the stories about people going in and getting the bends and about yeah, the the, fa- all that the too, father yeah. and son. So I I knew a bit of the the history there mm. already. But I would say I would say that. I think if you listen to this podcast and you're wanting to get turned on to new documentaries I don't think that if I were to pick one of a Ken Burns for to recommend to for yeah. somebody to go watch, that's not familiar with it. This wouldn't be the one no. I'd recommend. This isn't. No. This is a guy figuring out. Who what his, would you? His who, which one would you recommend? Well, I think I would probably recommend baseball because just because that's my favorite, yeah. but because I love baseball, yeah. you know. But
0: I think you kind of have to know who you're recommending it to. Yeah, because I wouldn't recommend my sister go watch baseball because she would get nothing out of it. Yeah, if somebody's not into
1: baseball, yeah. they're probably but not gonna like the baseball. I
0: would recommend my sister go watch maybe. Maybe the parks you know the national the parks national films. parks one which yeah. i haven't seen yet I would, i've seen bits i've seen parts of it i haven't seen the whole thing that's the thing that's the other so mm-hmm. here's the thing <laughs> yeah, i want to I, break this I know down where you're going. i want to yeah. yeah. break this down here are the things that that are make ken a ken burns film like iconic and everything is there in this Brooklyn Bridge except for maybe the Ken Burns effect in the film, which I think is debatable. The things are historical documentary, Mm -hmm. first person narrator, I'm sorry, not first person narrator, voice of God narrator or omniscient narrator, First person performance accounts, like, mm-hmm. and what I mean by performance accounts, like actors reading first person narratives from the time. Right. So they'll read like people's quotes and things like
1: that. Yes. They'll, they'll hire actors to read those.
0: Expert interviews, mm-hmm. and the reliance on archival photographs, archival material in general, but like in this film, really, really it was only still photographs that are available. Yeah. And I think all i think that's kind of the makeup oh and sort of a he's really good with music and yeah. s- and sort of sound design so, yeah sound effects in general and that's in this film yeah um not obviously not nearly as sophisticated as his later films but It's there. Mm -hmm. The only other thing is that's sort of missing from what you might that he becomes sort of he becomes known for in his films later on is the one narrator that he ends up using later on. I can't think of the guy's name. The guy that ended up that narrated Civil War, and I think he's done every single one of his films since then. The voice of God narrator, the omniscient Mm -hmm. narrator. Um, That's the that's David. Yeah, he's the only. That's he's the only thing that isn't in this film, but. This film was really an adaptation of a David McCullough book, right? And David McCullough ends up being that voice of God throughout, because he's reading from the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is. So yeah. The so that's David McCullough actually reading through the for, through the book. And David McCullough is a well known voice throughout all his films. I think he, David McCullough has been almost every single one of, because he's a historian and a writer, and but known for this great voice. He has a great speaking voice. Mm-hmm. He's a it's a very pleasant man to hear read his own work. So I mean, you hear David McCullough at, um, in a lot of reading a lot of his own work in these films and a lot of Ken Burns films. So, but I think you see a fully. It's amazing if you think about it. It's amazing how well
1: developed his style was yeah. already it didn't with change, his first yeah, film. Right. The you one know? thing too that one of the things that I think often makes I think Ken Burns seems to a lot of people as I think he seems inaccessible, and I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, he does. PBS style documentaries, right? He does, they are are somewhat dry, you know, in that there's not a lot of drama or action that are happening in them. But the other one, and and what's missing from the Brooklyn Bridge that is typical of Ken Burns.
0: Well, I kind of take issue with that a little bit. There is a lot of drama and action in his films, but it's not expressed in a way that a pop culture art audience would necessarily appreciate
1: right and i think that but that turns certain people off to his work i
0: think yeah i think it just it has an academic kind of he takes an academic approach to his films and and they they're very well made academic films they're very uh, style films and they're very i think they're actually for academic films they're exceptionally well made and very very well very easy i think more accessible than if I think I think if you even take I think you could take most people that are semi intelligent and set them down in front of a good Ken Burns film and I think they would be fairly entertained.
1: Yeah, they may not give it a chance because of its patina. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a good word for it. They might, they might, and that's what I mean by inaccessible is that it just not isn't going to attract people a lot of times. Yeah, but here's
0: the thing: he's amazingly popular.
1: His films do very, very well. Yeah, he has
0: had commercial success, Mm -hmm. and he's become an icon of the culture. He's not a star, I wouldn't say, but like he, people know who he is.
1: Well, it's like the baseball. I mean, the baseball one is very popular among fans of baseball. Yeah. You know, because that's something if you, if you're really into baseball, you like to know about the history of it and you like to go back. And he was very clever about the way he did it. He did it in initially he did nine episodes as so each one was an inning to yeah. coincide with a baseball yeah, game. Yeah. And uh, he's since added on to it. So I think he's up to 10 innings yeah. now or something. But what I was going to say about the Brooklyn Bridge that's there, that's not there, that's in a, in a lot of Ken Burns films, is Brooklyn Bridge is 58 minutes long. Oh. And, and a lot of his stuff is very, very long. So if if you take something I like I was gonna add that as as like the other criteria that right. wasn't there at the beginning. Because if you take some if you're gonna sit down and do something and you should because I've done it and there and it's well worth it. Like something like baseball or this or civil war. If you know you're talking about nine, ten episode long things that are all like yeah. two hours long. So we were looking at I think there was one time. The first one we he seven. did though, like that was the Civil War. The Civil War was the first yeah. really long one, because he did some shorter ones. I know he did one on the Statue of Liberty. Um, some smaller ones after the Brooklyn Bridge. And then the Civil so War So it looks like I looked at
0: I took a quick look at his page. I don't have it up in front of me right now. But like I looked at his IMDb page. And it looks like he did the Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge in 1980. He didn't make another film to 1985. But he made two more films in 1985. And then he didn't make any more films to 1987, I think. Or 88. And he came up with two more films that year. I think that's what it was.
1: Yeah. So it looks like I, I have it. So Brooklyn Bridge. Now this is the release date. So who knows yeah. when he was shooting. And it, these
0: but. are like one hour hour i think yeah. all of them were worn hour. yeah um, so brooklyn american Bridge experience was
1: 81 he had another film in 84 and then one in 85 the 85 mm. one was the statue of liberty oh then another one about uh huey, huey long yeah in 1985 then he jumps to 1988 like you said and he did a to that film year. called the congress and thomas hart benton yep and then you've got the gap where then he launches into the civil war yeah which is so think- nine episodes long and that came out in 1990 And each episode is about two hours long. So you're talking about, if you want to sit down and watch that, you know, an 18-hour commitment to something. Yeah.
0: So I think all those early 80s ones that he did, those one-hour documentaries he made all through the 80s, I think those were all done under the American Experience or part of the, they, they're bundled as part of the as the American Experience series now.
1: Yeah, so if you go on now, like Amazon Prime, they they bundle it all. They together. bundled yeah. like all his
0: early films together as the American Experience. But I think that was a series. I don't know if it was a series at the time. That's the thing. I don't know when American Experience came about because it may have been.
1: I don't think it was. I think they were just independent things that he did. Yeah, and
0: they got bundled in the nineties. Maybe it didn't. Yeah, I think somebody that, looked back. American said, Experience look. became a documentary series that channel that. PBS did in the '90s, okay, and I think they might have taken all the early Ken Burns and packaged them into that thing. But be that as it may, yes, I was going to point out the fact that that's the other characteristic that everybody knows about Ken Burns is that his films are very, very long and they're multi-part. and They take over, and you know, they're when they premiere in PBS, they're like a an event. It's an like event. People yeah. will watch them every night, right? And yeah, which I think is great. I love that you have like a back when the Civil War came out, that was a big deal i remember 1990 like a lot of people talking about watching the civil war every night at home well i remember like
1: being the roosevelts right he did on the roosevelts and that was released in 2014, and I was overseas at the time, living overseas. And you get a lot, of, you heard a lot, of and them. a lot of the people that I was around, which was mainly, you know, mainly English-speaking expats, they were all like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go home and, and keep watching the Roosevelts." You yeah, know, it was a it was a big thing to watch. You yeah, know? so so they are
0: which popular. I think people is amazing. Like I mean, he's a guy that has you know, and it just really shows the power of storytelling. He's taken the stuff that people would not listen to or not pay attention to in school. Yeah. He's taken those things and made them accessible. I think and 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 entertaining. Uh, To the point where it's a pop culture event when he comes out with another film. And they're not without depth because they're these long pieces, you know. And I think the trick, and he Mm -hmm. talked about that, and we watched a Masterclass episode before Mm we watched this. Before we start recording this, he talks about that his what his technique was. He 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 knew that the problem with telling history is like sort of getting hung up on the dates and times and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Right. And his he considered what he was doing was emotional archaeology. So he was mm-hmm. taking the emotional, the real raw care. He was building characters and telling their stories and not telling. It's not the story of the Brooklyn Bridge. It's the story
1: of uh, what's the, it? The, the people that made the, the people that bridge. built the bridge. Right. Yeah. The, the, although you know, I we did see him say that and. I, I, I had a thought when I said that. That Now, I think he's been much more successful with that since then, but I didn't really think that was very successfully done in the Brooklyn hmm. Bridge. I didn't really feel empathy towards the people that were building the bridge. It was very, I don't know, maybe it was just the way it was edited. It kind of jumped around. They like would come back to it. They didn't really develop those guys very well.
0: Yeah, it may not. I mean... But that could have just been but, because well, he had I, a time constraint. I'm not saying that it was long. necessarily what you... I don't think he's as good. I think he re- came to that realization in making that film that, yeah, that that's what the trick was. Mm-hmm. and he And that was an early example of him trying that idea out. And
1: obviously, I think he's developed it much better since then. Yeah, because if you go back to something like the Roosevelt's, I didn't know barely anything about Eleanor Roosevelt when yeah. I went into watching that. And I walked away like just... Kind of blown com- away. Yeah, like it was like, well, what, what an amazing woman, you know? Yeah. And he, just the way that they were able to tell the story of, yeah. of her. But I didn't think in Brooklyn... Again, though, I was uh, underwhelmed. I wasn't blown away by Brooklyn Bridge. But yeah. But it's a, it's, it is interesting to just see that from a guy that starting to put those pieces together. Yeah, to I think that
0: out. that's the, I think as an academic exercise, if we're talking about like academic style films, I'm not even saying that he makes academic films because that was, I think that's an insult, but sort of pe- what people might regard as academic style films, you know, it's, it. I think it plays very well. You know, if you want to get academic about it. <laughs> You know, that's, it's it's worth going back and, and looking at it for no other reason but seeing how his style, all these elements of his style that we know him for today were there in that original film. Mm-hmm. You know, you can watch that film and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a Ken Burns
1: documentary. Yeah, yeah, Which you, is, you can definitely see it.
0: You know... Amazing, I think you know that he was that well developed. He was twenty five or twenty six, I think, when he started. Yeah, we saw movie. the the
1: master class that we watched had f- photographs of, of Ken Burns while he was shooting the Brooklyn Bridge. It's just so it's so funny. He looks so young and well. And you, you pointed to, out they had the same haircut ever since. Then. Call back
0: to King of Kong. One of the comments on one of the videos, one of the videos with uh, Billy Billy Mitchell Mitchell yeah. from King of Kong. One of the comments I thought was hilarious, and some of the later. Not King of Kong interviews, but on YouTube. One of the comments was, Billy Mitchell holds the world's record for not changing his haircut in 40 years. But I actually,
1: I think that award goes to Ken to Burns. Burns. <laughs> Ken Burns, yeah. Ken, I think he actually has it. You know, back in when he was shooting this film, his hair was a slightly longer, but the exact same haircut style. Exact same bangs. Yeah, exact same like bangs. Like, he
0: has not. like it's He's doing the bull. He club. never like, tried
1: to part his hair or, or brush it back or anything like that.
0: He you know, I, I, I kind of get why he would do that, though because in, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to refer to the Masterclass, which I know nobody has seen. And if you don't have a, Masterclass is not a a sponsor of this program. (laughs) So I don't want to feel like I'm promoting them because, and I'd be happy if they wanted to sponsor this program, but (laughs) they're not. So they're not paying me to say this. It's just that he has a Masterclass, Ken Burns Masterclass, which is great. I've watched most of it. And we watched the first episode, the First real episode of beyond the introduction earlier tonight, and he talks a lot about the Brooklyn Bridge and like his early days and the I forget where it's going with this. Oh, the uh, I just wanted to get I just want to explain that we 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 watched that and right so uh so we, we we may be referring to things that he said that he said in that um, but there's course. a
1: lot of things that like I watched also an interview with him oddly with Conan O'Brien. Oh. and this isn't from the conan o'brien like show it was a set that looked almost identical to charlie rose like i don't know if this oh. was like a, a little like one-off kind of like pilot or something that they did the conan o'brien was trying to host like a charlie rose kind of talk show wow. there it was just the two of them sitting at like a a table with a black background and i didn't know this about conan o'brien but apparently he's quite an amateur historian he, huh. was, he was saying like he goes you know i make my living in comedies. Like, but when I read books and when I'm like, you know, watching things, it's like, I really, you know, I'm interested in history. And they were talking a lot in that film about, or in that interview about a film Ken Burns did called the address. Hmm. Do you know, have you seen the address? Mm-mm. So this is the address being the Gettysburg address, oh. but this was, and I haven't seen it either, but it's a, it's a bit of a different film for Ken Burns because he was saying that he got invited to, he lives in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is another interesting thing about him because We've talked before about, you know, like the perfect life of the filmmaker. He just lives up in New Hampshire. He just gets to do whatever kind of work he wants to do and live in a a quiet environment. But he was saying that up there, he was invited to participate in some school that dealt with dyslexic children. And one of the ways that they would help them is they would have them memorize the Gettysburg Address. And then every year they would come together and they would recite the Gettysburg Address to sort of show their... uh, you know the progress that they've they've been making and he decided to make a documentary about that about this little school and about these kids memorizing the Gettysburg address then he found out that these kids had never like the school in the like all the years they'd been doing this program they had never actually been to Gettysburg so he like rented a bus and took them all down to Gettysburg and let them tour the site and continue to interview them from there. So it's a, I haven't seen it, but a bit of a different hmm. style of film for Ken Burns where I, I guess not a lot of the, you know, a lot of the steel, still images and the archival footage, but
3: yeah. it, it sounds it's like more an of a, actual yeah. documentary. There's a little
0: taste of that. In, in Brooklyn Bridge, there was a little scene at the end where they had like little kids in grade school, like trying to build yeah. bridges. You that know? was the one part yeah.
1: of the movie that my daughter was interested in. She's uh, like, she's like oh look because you know she's a kid about their age and she's like oh look they're actually trying to build the brooklyn bridge so but there's a lot of things i mean the reason i brought that up is because you were talking about the master class and there's a lot of things that he's talked about that you know you're not going to get out of just watching the brooklyn bridge he he
0: does a lot of interviews well i remember what i was the point i was driving at before he says in there that you kind of have to be a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. You have to be a jack-of-all-trades. It's one of his recommendations in the masterclass is to sort of be a jack-of-all-trades. And one of the things he talks about, and I think this is what a lot of people forget, especially young documentary filmmakers, is that you part of the job of being a filmmaker, you're essentially making a show. And part of the job is doing PR and being a showman. And he says being a showman. As one of the things that you have to be as an independent documentary filmmaker. Getting back to his haircut, I think one of the, his things with like not ever cutting his hair any differently. Oh, that's right. We were talking about the hair. That's okay. a visual, yeah, trademark. Sure, is absolutely. And I don't think that that's necessarily unintentional. Like, unintentional, right? I think he, and it's a little bit like uh, Michael Moore in the baseball cap, right? Right. Um, or when the I always think about is Kevin Smith in the hockey jersey. Kevin Smith, <laughs> Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. and his glasses, glasses and yeah. his baseball cap mm-hmm. it's a visual trademarks are really important it's a bit uh, of branding if, really if yeah. yeah if part of your job and this is and people will dismiss this as like oh he's being a showman or what yes he's being a showman he's his part of his job is going out there and getting people interested you gotta his sell work. it you know gotta you gotta yes. sell what you've made and and he's doing personal branding before they called it personal branding but like mm-hmm that became his personal branding. He, re- he obviously realized that early on that like cutting your hair a certain way will sort of make you rec- more recognizable mm-hmm. and sort of help build your brand. Yeah. I guess the ultimate persona. example
1: of that is Steve jobs, right? With the Steve jobs,
0: everybody, a lot of really successful people do it. Right. I thought about it myself. I realized early on, not early on, but like I realized once I started becoming a public person that like I needed to kind of visually brand myself somehow. And you got the beard, and I have the beard. That's yeah, right? gray beard. That's uh, people <laughs> I, have, I know, have the bald head. <laughs> people recognize me when I'm out and about. I'm not famous, like I'm not like mm-hmm. super well known or anything, but I am known for things, mm-hmm. and it really helps to sort of have, be recognizable when people when you're out and about. It helps like when you're raising money, it helps getting people interested in your in your film when you have one. It helps when you're trying to help other people out. Mm-hmm. You become a known quantity. You're a public person and that's part of the job. (laughs) It's not, it's not an ego trip necessarily. I mean, you may do it because you're an egomaniac. Some people do, but it's part of the job. So, you know, you can make fun of Ken Burns or his haircut. (laughs) You can make fun of the way uh, Michael Moore is fat and he wears a ball cap. It doesn't fit. Who's also had the same haircut forever. Yeah. (laughs) And you can make fun of all those things, but those are those, that's part of their job. Mm-hmm. to be that guy and hopefully you can make that public person mesh with your personal person you know your personal life right and make that work for yourself so I think a lot of the reason Michael Moore dresses like he does or Ken Burns you know obviously it's them but it's also personal branding
1: yeah so I, I found a lot of what he had to say it is Ken Burns is an interesting guy to look at if you are somebody who's interested in making documentaries because number one there's a couple of things number one I think that he is a guy who has completely carved out his own niche in the filmmaking world. He has his thing that he does. He's able to live up in n- New Hampshire and nice, quiet life. Make these films that are, and he's now basically, I'm sure, anything he would make, PBS would buy and put on the air. You know, probably
0: pre-sells everything.
1: Probably, yeah. yeah, it's probably pre-funded now. But you know, but he's able to make this very specific niche, and he's not out really competing with other documentary filmmakers you know that are that are doing there's almost nobody in his niche yeah that's
0: there's no names in his niche yeah he's he's
1: he's his own little thing but also so i think that's inspiring as somebody who wants to make documentary films like hey there there are niches out there that you can find and you can make a nice comfortable life and a comfortable living doing them especially these days man but also every
0: niche has a life online yeah of
1: course But also, you know, hearing him talk about, you know, like what we heard him talk about in the master class. And I watched some other interviews with him where he, hearing him talk about, you know, what you should do as a filmmaker. You know, if, if you're interested in becoming a filmmaker, you know, the steps that you should take. And I think I think he, the one it was in the master class where he says, no, you got to ask yourself answer two questions to yourself, basically. And I think the one was this is what I want to do, you know, and I'm completely committed to doing it. And I'm not going to you know, stop doing it no matter what happens like I'll, I'll i'll be a i'll be willing to sacrifice the other things that i might not get in life so a commitment right and that's why he talked about he he had gone to new york you know because that's where you go when you're from new hampshire and you want to make films um but realized he couldn't make a living in the city at that age even from, he
0: wasn't from new hampshire even no he wasn't really i don't think so not originally he his family may have lived there at some point but he was born in brooklyn
1: well, but I know also... And he grew was, up in
0: Illinois and Michigan. His dad was an academic, so he moved around a lot. Yeah,
1: I know he did move around a lot. But right. anyway, so he moved up to... So I guess he didn't come from there, but he moved up to New Hampshire um, because he realized, I could I can't afford to live in the city doing what i do you to know? be an artist
0: yeah that he was his to, thing he wanted, he wanted to, to, to develop he wanted this to style. carve out his own he talks a lot about like if you want to be the guy that carves out your own way first of all you have to kind of make it up as you go along because there's no real blue blueprint blue, ah. there's no blueprint for it nowadays <laughs> which is i think is kind of true still but like i think there's i think there's a lot of you can look at his career he says there's no blueprint I think his career is is a blueprint it's it may not be the way you want to do it but like it is a blueprint Absolutely. for doing it. Michael Start Moore small. is a blueprint yeah. for doing it. Kevin Smith who's not a documentarian. Well, he has made documentaries, but you know, has he? yeah, he worked on he worked he was working on a Prince documentary before Prince died. Oh, right. Okay, you're right. Um, yeah. but uh not known as a as a not known as a documentary filmmaker but a filmmaker independent filmmaker who has gone out and made his own way in the world Mm -hmm. that's a blueprint there's a number of there are a number of career paths you can look at and probably in
1: the 1980s 1970s i guess when ken burns was when he was coming up there probably wasn't wasn't, no there wasn't so he kind of laid that but yeah but what the blueprint that him and michael moore have and and it, I, it is interesting because we talked about Michael Moore recently and we, we talked about his first film too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're kind of seeing where those guys went. And they, they, they took that first thing, they did something small, something in the style that they wanted to do it. We talked about how much Michael Moore kind of changed documentary filmmaking. And, and, how, and then also in this, you can see how that Ken Burns style from the very beginning but they started something small doing exactly what they wanted to do and just continued to build from there. So that probably is a good blueprint for people these yeah, days. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And and these days, of course. And but
0: and then the other thing he did, and then Michael Moore didn't have to do because he already lived in Michigan, but like the idea that moving to somewhere where it's cheap to live, at mm-hmm. least the beginning of your career, makes a ton of sense. You know, you you can try to go start your career in New York as a young filmmaker and maybe get into corporate films or commercials or whatever. But like if you want to be a creative, mm-hmm person who doesn't have the constraints
1: they like he brags about the fact that he doesn't have any boss he doesn't have
0: anybody to tell him
1: what to do yeah and you know what he said i felt a little bad because one thing he said he goes so if you didn't like this film it's 100 percent my fault and yeah. i was like but i didn't like the film well, but he's fine with it <laughs> i'm sure he's okay um yeah he didn't need your approval i'm <laughs> no. sure uh but you know
0: the idea of like moving somewhere cheap is one of the things that you want to make is one of the sacrifices you may consider if you want to go into become a real artist, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming a real artist is about sacrificing things
1: for a vision, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is what he does. And he said, he goes, Nobody comes in and tells me to make it shorter, make it longer, make it sexier. Yeah. So what he get, what he makes is, you know, he, what he wants com- to make. And it's he is going to It's an uncompromised of thing. It. And yeah.
0: I think that Michael Moore has achieved that. To some degree, I don't think he gets anybody cuts his films
1: but him, right?
0: Which is pretty amazing considering the commercial sex success that he's had.
1: So, yeah, because I would say he's had Ken Burns' films do w- well ish, but I don't think they've had near the commercial yeah, success. Yeah, I don't know
0: how film. much money he makes, I don't think he needs to make a lot of
1: money, you know. So, these things when you look them but, up online, but, I, but
0: you know, commercial success is just one way of sort of measuring success. I mean, he is a, I would say he's as well known as Michael Moore. Like no, I, I think it, in really? the fame, on the fame level, I think Michael Moore and all right, maybe not, but, <laughs> but close. Like he is in the, like, I think as many people know who Ken Burns is, and know who Martin Scorsese is. You think so? Really? I think so. Absolutely. Wow. So
1: you think, therefore you think that he has his name on people- every
0: fucking Mac in the world.
1: Well, that's true, but I don't know if people necessarily associate that with who the guy is. You know, they they just go, okay, the Ken Burns effect, but they might not have. They've never seen There's no seen Martin this film. Scorsese effect. <laughs> yeah, but there doesn't need to be because he, he. I don't know. About I him. think he has achieved a level of notoriety
0: that's equal to a lot of commercially successful directors. But I think for him, and too- a lot of commercially successful directors, that nobody's ever heard of even
1: but what doesn't really matter is you know if he's has obviously he's known I know him yeah. you know him a lot of people know him we're talking um, about him because but, he's
0: an important documentary filmmaker
1: and he probably doesn't have the money of Michael Moore or Martin Scorsese but he's been able to live his whole life just doing the exact thing that he wants to do exactly and he gets to make the kind of films which is the
0: makes. most succ- really what are the kind of, how much more success do you want to be able to make a living making doing the exact thing that you want to do yeah like how much like I don't know that Michael Moore can say that
1: necessarily. You don't think so? I think Michael Moore does what he wants to do.
0: I think Martin Scorsese worked a shit ton of years to get to that point. You know, I don't think Michael. I don't think Martin Scorsese was probably until that point until after Goodfellas came out, and he was already in his fifties by then. Huh. So I don't know. Ken Burns. I think if you just look at personal success and just measure it by the fact that he's able to make a living and live well, yeah, and be fairly famous you know not that that gets him anything but that i think
1: that is a key to his success he told the story actually on one of the interviews i think it was the one with conan o'brien about the ken burns effect and how that came into being have you ever heard that Mm -mm. um i had neither. So, so for people that don't know if you're listening to this if you don't know what the ken burns effect is if you if you buy a, a macintosh computer it comes with imovie and back when imovie was first launched steve jobs got up and presented it and it was like this revolutionary way to edit digital video on your computer and one of the things that they touted was that the, something called the Ken Burns effect and the Ken Burns effect would take a still image so you could take a you know if you're making a movie about your family you could take one of your still images and it will begin to kind of pan and zoom across that image automatically and apparently what happened was while they were developing iMovie the team their internal name for this filter that they were doing making was the Ken Burns effect. And once they finished it, they just liked that name and they wanted to keep that name. So Steve Jobs called up Ken Burns. I think they flew him out to California to show it to him. And Ken Burns was like, well, look, I don't do commercial endorsements. I'm not going to endorse this. But they worked out something where Apple donates equipment that Ken Burns then donates to, to specific charities. I don't remember what the charities were. So he said, "Okay, yeah, you can go ahead and use my name." So, so you'll hear that the phrase used, and it's something that people use a lot now. Just it's probably got once Apple came out with the Ken Burns effect, it definitely got overused in a lot of a lot of things. You saw it everywhere. I don't
0: but. even know that he was the first person to do that. No, you don't think so? I don't know. I mean, I just yeah, don't I don't know, know for sure that either. That's, I know he popularized that yeah, style yeah. of using stills and uh film but like i don't even know that he was he originated it and i don't even know that it was his idea to do it to begin with it may have been some technician that he was working with you know some his camera guy or somebody on his team that came up with this idea well one of the things that
1: i heard him talk about because when he went to school when he went to college to study film uh he was taught by a lot of still photographers so he had a big background in still photography
0: and you can see that like i think in all his Yeah.
1: yeah and so he wanted to He's, and he was talking about like, he goes, you know, a lot of times when they show the, a, a photograph in film, they just, you know, in a film, they just throw it up on the screen, you look at it. He's like, but when you're looking at it, a photograph, he's like, it kind of comes alive to you. You know, you're looking in this part of the picture, then you're looking over at this part. You're, you know, you're recreating your, you know, there's some kind of memory there. Um, and he wanted that to happen in the films. Right. So he wanted to to dive into the pictures and kind of make them come alive. And they're really interesting. And as he was talking about that, you know, interesting examples of how he would do that. So like you, you know, you're showing some something like the Grand Canyon, you know, and you're zoomed in tight on the photograph. And he st- slowly starts to pan up. And you see just like one person sitting at the top of the cliff as it zooms up. Yeah. So it creates some drama in yeah. that rather than just Plopping the photograph It's a way of moving the, the camera. Yeah. It's a way of making... But moving the camera on something that's still all you know... Yeah, it's in-
0: taking a still photograph and making it alive. Mm-hmm. And the one of the indicators that something is alive is that it moves. So if you have a film and a, you're making a movie, mm-hmm. you're not making a slideshow, right? I mean, a lot of documentaries, that film, the Brooklyn Bridge is kind of a slideshow. Right. Even though you say there's one... <laughs> There is one. I'm telling okay. you. All right, I'll take your word for it. But for the most part, none of the photographs move. Mm-hmm. It is a slideshow mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's a slideshow with a voiceover. I mean, obviously, it's much more nuanced than that. But but that's essentially what the style is. And you're making a movie, like you're making a you're make if you want it to be cinematic, you have to have a moving picture. That's the kind right. of essence of of cinema is a is the fact that you have a moving picture. And when and you're you,
1: somebody like and when you work in the The type of stories that Ken Burns tells, you know, you're limited in what you have that's available because there wasn't a lot of, of, like you said earlier, there wasn't a lot of video of the Brooklyn Bridge or or film of the Brooklyn Bridge when it was being built. So all of the access to, you know, footage that you have or to, you know, stuff to put in your film is still photographs. So how do you enhance those and make the film a little bit more interesting? Make a move, like you said, than just a series of of slideshows. You know, yeah.
3: How do
0: you make a move? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these days we're even, I mean, we talked, I mean, Go back to one of our early episodes where we talk kids. These days in the picture. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that about that. Was this a, made me think of that too? That me. was a, a even a step beyond what Ken Burns was doing. Mm-hmm. And I think Ken Bur- the reason Ken Burns and landed on it and started doing it is because a he could afford it, and b it got a little technically easier over the years. I don't even know if he still. I don't even know if he works digitally now. I assume he does work digitally now. He must now. But Civil War was shot on film, mm-hmm. and even moving those photographs then would have been probably just expen- as expensive for him to do it in 1980.
1: So, and that's, so let me ask you this, how, because I, I was thinking about, when we look at the Ken Burns effect on, a, on an iMovie, super easy, throw in a photo, hit a button, it scans everything around you. Now back then, in my mind, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because I thought about how does he actually do it? Mm-hmm. And in my imaginations, you got to actually mount a camera basically pointing down at a table Right, and then you you're, you're putting that photograph on the table, and you're taking that camera and kind of, you know, I guess some sort of you have something built there that allows it to move a little bit, and you're actually having to physically move that. You have
0: camera. a camera on a on a on a platform, mm-hmm. and the cam- and the camera's pointing. Down. It's like looks like an animation table, except you right. and you don't even move the camera. The table, I think the early versions of the way they would do this was the table would move oh okay so you'd put the you'd, it was a lot easier to put the photograph on a platform that could move and you could move it on two axes instead
1: of moving the whole camera right yeah you could
0: move the camera up and down for close-ups or you could zoom in and out with for close-ups but you could but it was really the table that moved mm-hmm. more than the camera so it was it would have been difficult to build an apparatus to be able to move the camera on right two axes like that but then also just so, the,
3: the
1: difficulty of getting that shot the way you want it to be yeah you know like like i said again if we go to the the way we would do and it i think the early ones now. they
0: would do stop motion they would just do it in like like animation oh, really yeah like and a frame at a time you would do it a frame at a time so you'd move it and then you'd move it and but i think eventually you got to the point they got to the point where they would just move things in real time
1: uh, um yeah it's uh but you got to think about, OK, I mean, what I want to what I'm trying to do is paint a picture for people of how difficult that yeah. was to do at the time, you know, because you got to think if you're taking this specific. And you're picture, talking about zooming into a photograph.
0: Yeah, that's really all you're talking about is yeah. like moving from one side of the photograph to the other in in, in space on film.
1: And we're spoiled these days because when we look at that happening on, you know, because it's so easy to do. We can take Technically, a digital picture. It's super picture. easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. We can take a digital picture on our phones and then just recreate it instantly. But the way that they had to go about inventing that technique and, and recreating that. So if you've got a picture that, say, you've got something in the lower right of that, that frame and you want to be zoomed in on that, then you want to slowly pan up to the upper left of the frame well you've got to you've got to map that out and how you're going to do that yeah. you got to have the camera in the right place but not even that and then like, move the table in the right directions
0: not even that but like how the motion curves because this is a big people that do motion graphics will understand this but like when you start and stop something like there's a motion curve that happens mm-hmm. so like the, the speed ramps up at a certain rate and then it ramps down at a certain rate and mm-hmm. that makes it feel smoother than it actually is so you don't have this abrupt abrupt start, start and, then, and stop right and then move because that would look very robotic robotic mm-hmm. so like there's a there's a art to if you're doing it manually imagine how hard it would be like sort of start something and then stop and slow something. it down yeah and have it smoothly go from this part of the photograph to the other part of the, instead of going zoop zoop right or even like you mm. know like it like it could be very jerky you know? Absolutely. And so there's, there was a whole physical manual art to like make, even doing so. And we, and we can program all that stuff and we have like pre-programmed motion curves built into things. Now, right. You know,
1: but back then, yeah, he was doing that by hand, you know, yeah. and that's, and that's a tricky thing to do. So what would you, if, sorry, you're going to say, what,
0: well, what I was just going to say it like you get in the kitchen stays in the picture effect. And that's oh, yeah. really where you sort of jump into what digital it's like taking the Ken Burns effect digitizing it and then giving it a whole nother level. Not only do you have motion, but you have depth in the frame.
1: Right. So to, to cover that, I know we covered it before a little yeah. bit, but kid stays in the picture effect is similar to the Ken Burns effect, except I that think it owes a lot to the Ken. Burns I think it, it's, it's, it's based off of it. Yeah. My guess is, but the difference is that they kind of separate the foreground and the background so that you can digitally. move. The, yeah. Then digitally. You
0: so the you can elements of the photo on different, two different planes. And then you move a camera around. The, you could do it, in real space theoretically mm-hmm. ken burns theoretically could have been doing this because they had animation setups back they, in the they could have done 40s. like an animation
1: kind of table right? right there were
0: animation tables back in the 40s that had depth things in them where you would have a background and then four inches in front of the background and then you, you could rack focus between those layers right and that's essentially what you're doing digitally with the kid stays in the picture effect yeah but obviously, it's a lot more time-consuming and a lot more because right. you have to paint basically paint every frame by hand. But once you could do that in Photoshop fairly really quickly, the kid stays in the picture effect got really cheap, and you could suddenly do that. And it was a whole extension of the Ken what Burns effect. Ken Burns was doing, was trying to take still media and giving it life.
1: Because when you think about that, that movie in particular, forget about the effect, but that movie, the kid stays in the picture, it is, too, almost a slideshow, right? But it's a slideshow that has depth to it so it doesn't feel like a slideshow it feels like it's alive it feels like it's moving
3: it's,
0: yeah i mean it's it's making photos cinematic is what you're attempting to do yeah so what and would I you think? anybody who makes documentaries has to deal with that type of material and, and you have to sort of decide how much effort you're going to put into making still media that you have to use to tell your story how important it is that it be cinematic and how how much effort you're going to put into making it cinematic mm-hmm. you know Dear Zachary used a lot of photographs. Yeah, but he didn't do anything special with the photographs. I think he did do some zipping around.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that well. He but- did
0: a lot of like paint whip pans and things between mm-hmm. photographs, right. which I thought was you know a good choice for that film. A
1: good choice just because of the the pace of the editing on that film yeah. was was so quick, but. Yeah. So, what would you recommend? Uh, you know, if somebody is going to go and well, I, are, are you in agreement with me that this this would not be the film that you would start somebody off of on their no? Their Ken like Burns I said, journey? I think
0: I think it's an academic exercise to watch this film. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's the film that you can get. It's it's Ken Burns' first film, and if you're curious about like how Ken Burns started out, this would be the film to watch. This would be the one to watch, and it's I I think the most remarkable thing about it is the fact that. He is so well developed as a voice. His voice is so well developed in this film, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's the most remarkable thing about it. So it's not really. I I mean I love the Brooklyn Bridge. I think it's a. I think it's a well made. It's a well told story. It's a worthy story. To know. I th- I would like to read the David McCullough book about it now because I love that stuff. I love architecture. If you're into architecture, I do too. yeah. And if you're into just human achievements, it's a great story. But even but 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 it's not like a modern Ken Burns film that sort of grips you from the beginning right. even. So I would
1: say if I would say if you want to watch Ken Burns, if you want to learn about Ken Burns, if you haven't wa- watched Ken Burns before, start with something like if you like baseball, start with baseball. But if you don't like baseball, I would for me my second choice would be The Roosevelts. I think that's one of my favorites. Civil War. Civil Yeah, but I think it's Depends
0: on what they're into. Ex- exactly. You know, Civil War is great though. I think the Civil War explains a lot of America. Yeah. <laughs> um on a really fundamental level if you want to understand american culture understanding civil war is not a bad place to start
1: you know it reminds me too you know who ken burns reminds me of do you you ever listen to the hardcore history podcast yes you know it's a very long form historical retellings (laughs) he's great i love that guy he is great but i don't know with him and ken burns i get the same reaction like i have such an appreciation but there's just something that when you start talking about history for a long time my mind is just wandering, like I'm. You know, I'll try to listen to that podcast or watch the Civil War, and I'm like, I, I'm I'm in it and I appreciate it, but I'm just my mind doesn't stick with it. I just yeah. can't follow along yeah. with it sometimes. But yeah. also, I was I wanted to say because something that this made me think about just just as a random suggestion is if you if you want to watch a movie about a bridge, go see The Bridge, the documentary The Bridge. Oh,
0: have you well, seen that one? Yeah, it's not about a bridge though. No,
1: it's not about a. It is kind of, but it's also a great documentary. So I kept thinking about right. that. And I just wanted to mention it. I I think it's a little
0: too soon after our recent... um, (laughs) Our spat of very serious films. Our our spat of very uh, (laughs) depressing films. I think it's a little too early to start talking about The Bridge. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we won't go into that one yet. But but it is good, so I would recommend that.
0: I do have something to point out, though. Like, there is a connection between, a St. Louis connection to the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. Not the film, but the actual object itself. So a big part of the story that Ken Burns tells in the film, the Brooklyn Bridge, is about how dangerous the caisson, the the system that they developed where they build these caissons to dig out, because you have to go underwater mm-hmm. to dig out huge amount, amounts of earth to lay the foundation for, that's the, and that's where they dis- discovered the, what they call, originally called casean disease and became the bends the bends yeah uh, and it has to do with like pressurizing the human body and depressurizing the human body which i did not understand back then so i think on their technical engineering level they were they were amazingly advanced but like on a human scientific they didn't realize medical the impact, yeah. yeah they were still learning a lot and uh, so humans were really like bumping up the against the limits of their technical abilities just based on what they physically could do back then, which is an incredible story.
1: And people were dying during the construction of the bridge because they were getting the bends. Exactly. And And a lot of what
0: they learned about building caissons and how they do it for the Brooklyn Bridge was the biggest project that used caissons to build a bridge across the river was the eads bridge here in st louis oh. which opened 10 years before the brooklyn bridge did yeah. but they used the same caisson system to lay these and, and that's there was a bridge across
1: the mississippi river
0: yes and they knew about the bends even before the brooklyn bridge was built this film makes it seem like they no oh, really had yeah no they knew because there were 120 guys that died oh, building well. the eads bridge of the caisson's disease And so they knew, they had an inkling of what it was, but they didn't know exactly what it was and they didn't know how to treat it or what caused it even. But they knew, they were fully aware that it was a problem before the Brooklyn Bridge even began. So, and that's the connection St. Louis has to the Brooklyn Bridge is that, if you see the Eads Bridge in St. Louis, which opened in 1873, I think, 10 years, 11 years before the Brooklyn Bridge opened. That technology that they used for that bridge went on to be used in the Brooklyn Bridge. So
1: I like architecture too, and I, yeah. I and I'm interested in the the Brooklyn Bridge and the construction and the engineering of it. It's all very fascinating. Human achievement. Yeah, I think you could. I think this film could be much better made today. I mean, I think a lot of the problems that are, are with it are. Just, I
0: think it's an achievement for its time. I think, I think that's what I mean. That's at, right. yeah, looking at looking at for it what it is
1: today. Yeah. I, think it'd be, I think it would be. I think I think you could make a really interesting two hour. Because uh, this is an hour, so I feel like there's there could have been more there. But yeah, it's an achievement for the time. I think it was interesting. But there are also, I think, more interesting architectural documentaries, you know, documentaries about architecture and about human achievement. But this is a good look at that. I mean, I think, you know, I kept thinking about this. You and I have mentioned before that, uh, you know, I wish that we would have been able to document things a lot earlier in history so we could yeah. know about them and one of the limit, limits that Ken Burns had in this film was that he only had still photographs and not really moving images but I kept thinking back about the the kind of things that have been built over the course of human history that we're not able to explain so something like the pyramids or something like that and I'm looking at the Brooklyn Bridge and go like well if the if society um, society collapsed and we all came back we'd be like how the hell did they build this bridge so it's nice to have that kind of historical document of how they did it and how they did the engineering.
0: I think something else that young filmmakers can take as inspiration from Ken Burns is that when he made the Brooklyn Bridge, I think one of the reasons he made the film, I haven't really heard a full expl- explanation about why he made the film about the Brooklyn Bridge, but I think that if you think about where he was in his life at that time, he, and I think this is super inspirational, You, there's a story in everything. There's a story everywhere around you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go somewhere interesting to find a good story. There are stories everywhere. And... Every story just needs their storyteller to make that thing interesting. And what Ken Burns did when he made this film, he was a young kid in New York that wanted to be a filmmaker. And he was living in Brooklyn and looking, probably crossing the Brooklyn Bridge on a regular basis. And he was making a film literally in his own backyard in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And he had just taken this thing that was interesting in his environment and made a film about it. Mm And I think that's really inspirational for anybody. I think that there's a million stories to be told. There's no reason they can't be told nowadays in an interesting cinematic way. It's technically it's anybody can do it. Now how much? And I, guess- I, I don't know. I just think, I, I think that's one of the lessons you, like young filmmakers can take from Ken Burns is that he
1: made a movie about something that's liter- almost literally in his backyard. So that leads me to a question that I have for you, is how much of an influence was Ken Burns on you and your documentary? So I
0: made so I did I that I mean we haven't really talked about so our own I, documentary. Yeah. Before. So I made a movie about brick um, in St. Louis, and and I think that that film, well, like the idea that I I didn't know that about Ken Burns. I didn't know, I, in fact, I wasn't super aware of the the film Brooklyn Bridge, Brooklyn Bridge or anything about Ken Burns when I started making. brick I mean, I knew something about Ken Burns, but I didn't know that story about right. him. So I I can't say that that was an inspiration for me, but it, I did have this idea in my head back then, you know, which wasn't that long. It was. 12 years ago or something. And I had this idea that you can make a movie about anything. Like you could like, and really my, my challenge was I I kept reading about bricks in St. Louis. I'm a history buff. And I kept reading about how St. Louis is a brick town and like, and I couldn't find a lot of information about it. So I was like, I should make, that might that could be a interesting film, but like it was a personal challenge to make it interesting. Like, could I take could I make a movie about a building material and make it interesting? And it was a personal creative challenge to me, mm-hmm. and luckily, I think I kind of succeeded mm-hmm. I, as as well as I possibly could have imagined when I, I was starting. I think your film is
1: better it. than Brooklyn Bridge. Okay, well, I'll take that as a compliment. No insult to Ken Burns, love him.
0: So, and, you know, so I kind of have a thing about like anything could be uh, an interesting story. No, Ken Burns is a as a documentary filmmaker, as a historic documentary filmmaker, he was an inspiration to me sure, but like I was really more looking at like there were some films about other minutia kind of things, like what people would consider minutia things. There's a film about Helvetica yeah, phase, I see. that. They came out around the time that I was thinking about making The Brick movie. And once I I was kind of leaning away from like not making The Brick movie at some point, and then that movie came out, Helvetica, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay, I can make this movie right. <laughs> about brick. Like, why wouldn't I? Like, somebody made a movie about Helvetica, yeah. a typeface. <laughs> yeah, right, a like, font. Why, <laughs> why wouldn't I do that? Right. Fuck it you know yeah. that was my attitude and that's why i made it because so I, I i did that was more th- of an influence than ken burns
1: right I, I mean but it's it was interesting even though you didn't see this film like i kind of thought about about your film watching this one because number one it, yours is also kind of an architectural yeah. story yeah. and it is something like it's in your own backyard like the you know, like the brooklyn bridge was yeah. but it just made me think about like when we were watching the you know so both of us have made documentaries yeah. before with varying degrees of success speaking for myself but but I like we got a million views on YouTube. I right? know. Well, not yeah. not not a million Wait. yet. We're getting close. But right. like when we watched Roger and me, yeah, and I watched that, I was like, wow. I, I didn't realize that I never consciously did it. But I watched Roger and me, And I was like, wow. I think I took a lot from like the you know the way he sets yeah. his own
3: story up in well, the beginning of the film. I set up I my own story in the beginning. Of the film. I
0: think that like I kind of took what, when I was making my film, I took like what Ken Burns has done as a given in terms of like the way you do those types of films. You know, like you have sit down interviews with experts. And I didn't, one thing I didn't do that he does a lot is does a lot of uh, first person narrative with performers, with actors. right? right? right. And, uh, and I didn't do any of that with mine I could have but you know I wasn't trying to make a film the way he made a film necessarily I was trying to make my own film so I really wasn't looking to him as inspiration for like stylistic even though there's only so many different ways you can make a movie like that Mm -hmm. you know I'm sure you could watch my film and sort of take oh he's doing a Ken Burns thing but I wasn't trying to well, that hadn't really
1: occurred to me until seeing this Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. Because when I saw the Brooklyn Bridge, I was like, and just because of, I think, number one. Again, I don't think really even, I didn't know that he'd even made a movie. I know. The, yeah. But then just the fact like, oh, it's in your backyard. Because going back to the point where you were saying was, you know, that what maybe had motivated him to do this was because the Brooklyn Bridge was, was right accessible. there. It was accessible. Yeah, an accessible story. accessible story. An accessible yeah. story that, and then that, like you said, there's stories everywhere.
0: And being in New York, you know, you could call up, David McCall in 1980 and say, hey, uh, I, saw, I read your book about the Brooklyn Bridge. I'd like to make a movie out of it and david mccullough would pick up the phone and actually talk to you right you know nowadays i don't think you could do that you'd have to go through his literary agent or something you know maybe he did then too but it was a little you know it was a a simpler time you know (laughs) but it's always a simpler time (laughs) in some way to you know to some place in the future so and there's always like some way into a story or a way of doing something. And I think that, like, taking that inspiration, not doing what he did necessarily, mm-hmm. but, like, taking...
1: But but not doing what he did, but doing, you know, he showed that it was able to be done. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think able to be done, but also, like, not dismissing a story just because you don't think it's interesting.
1: He, you know? Ken Burns, to me, always has a very interesting um, choice of stories. I mean, he's done some very big, obvious ones, like the Civil War, just the war, music the Vietnam just War. Out. Yeah, brand-new one that just came out. Uh, country music, which I haven't but watched. I heard a lot of buzz I, about it. I haven't either, but it's called Country Music, and it's, a, it's his latest one. But, you know, he is... The interesting thing about Ken Burns is he is... You know, it's all, it's all American history. You know, it's pretty much stuck to American history, so... Um, he doesn't really. It's all aspects of American history, yeah. but
0: I, I think the reason it works his story, the his style of storytelling works, is because he's really not telling the tech. I mean, he gets into the technical aspects of the story, mm-hmm. but it's not about the technical aspects of the story. It's about the people, yeah, in the story. Well, and and I again, think like that the Roosevelts,
1: that's what I loved about the Roosevelts. It really focused yeah. on the people in the yeah. story. And
0: I think that that's why he works his style works on such a wide range of topics
1: mm-hmm. and it's yeah. so interesting like we were just I just mentioned Michael Moore but you think about the difference between a filmmaker like Michael Moore and Ken Burns right Michael Moore is a character in every one of his films you know he he's the leader he's driving you through the whole story you don't see Ken Burns in his films you know he's not he doesn't hear him you don't, him. Of it. You you know, don't he, see him
0: yeah I, I think you hear him and see him but you don't hear and see his voice you hear well you hear him and see him you mean like
1: interviews and stuff Oh, you mean. His you you Style. hear
0: and see him because it's a Ken Born It's a Ken Burns joint, you know. Right, it's right, a, right. It's <laughs> still sta- uh, Spike, Spike Lee's, Lee's. Yeah. you know, description of the way he describes his films. It's a, it's a Ken Burns joint. You know, when you're watching Ken Burns film, yeah. you're watching Ken Burns film. Yeah. So he's there. Mm -hmm. You know, he's almost like I think at this point, if you know Ken Burns and you know his style, it's almost like when you watch one of his films, he's a character in the film on some level because he's made all these choices, you know, he's made all these choices. But that's
1: what's so fun about the I think the art form of documentary of documentaries is just you can have a guy like michael moore and you can have a guy like ken burns that are doing totally different oh, things yeah. you yeah. know and and for different reasons you got michael Moore, and it
0: shows the- that like documentaries aren't one thing like mm-hmm. i think I, I hope it's changing but i think it's some people have this idea that documentaries are just one type of movie
1: well and i think the one type of movie that they think it is is ken burns right so I we, we talked about i on think a previous... that
0: sometimes they might even think that it's just like those really bad history channel documentaries that you see that are
1: terrible i always think about the ones that they're
0: like television news style oh, package really documentaries wrong.
1: they're awful i watched a really bad one this last week there's a the but... true
0: crime ones that are like that too uh, they yes, basically buy you know what those things you know those things came from they would buy like um all the the rights to like the local news footage Things And then they would, like, they would give it to a team and they would, like, say, you know, make this into an hour-long documentary about mm. this murder or whatever. Right. And that's really, it's, they're literally, like, cranked out and they're not very creative. There's no one voice behind them. Mm-hmm. There's no one filmmaker, like, making yeah. these films. It's just like a, it, they're cut and paste.
1: So. yeah. But I but I think, but I think
0: that, a lot of people think that's what a documentary. is. I
1: mentioned is. it before, but I you know you used to have like an, at least in when I was going to elementary school and stuff, they would ro- roll in the TV every once in a while and they'd be like, okay, we're gonna watch a a movie today. They'd call it yeah. a movie, and then they show you some like educational some film. some educational thing that would just be awful. And that's but in my mind, that's kind of what Ken Burns. Is but Ken Burns is a very good version of that. Yeah. It's you know, like
0: just, the these like the movies they wish they you wish they showed you. Yeah.
1: But also, I mean if you rolled in if you rolled in the Roosevelts when I was like in elementary school, I probably would have to No, but, a but shit in high then, school you might have got into it. Maybe a little bit later, yeah. But. Yeah, I
0: think the Civil War would have played very well with high school students. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. I uh, I think that people have I think that the good thing is that these days, because of Netflix and because of a lot of people's the concept of what a documentary is is expanding. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's a lot of people out there who think that documentaries are just one thing, you know, and it's either some bad version of whatever documentary it could be, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's I think that's one of the reasons we do this, <laughs> this podcast, yeah. you know, it's just, um, to sort of get open people's minds.
1: I would it. say, though, I mean, I don't I don't know Ken Burns to me. I don't know if Ken Burns would be for everybody. You know, I don't know if he's somebody that would that,
0: I know. think that he is a he is for anyone, I think he's for anyone who wants to know about if America, you like if you American like the topic culture. that he's
1: talking about, I think he's a good source for that. I think he's
0: I think he's for anyone who wants to understand American culture. Mm. I think that's what you get from Ken Burns. You don't necessarily get the exact history of the things, but you get what he calls the emotional history of things. And I think you understand a culture through their through their history but not just like the facts and figures of the history but through the emotional history and what that did to people what those experiences did to a culture mm-hmm. and i think all cultures have that and if you're interested in american culture if you're say from england and you don't know a lot about america or let's just say india you don't know a lot about america watching ken burns films if you want to understand america that would wouldn't be a bad place the look i don't think
1: but also if you have an interest even if you're not a very big buff like let's say you're not a a big vietnam war buff but you have some passing interest in the vietnam war it's a good place to start and you're going to get a good interesting i think he makes story.
0: history he makes his history dramatic and interesting and you know he doesn't pull punches in the facts he uh he's factually very accurate Mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily but his films are not about facts his mm-hmm. films are about people and it's about a culture trying to understand itself his films are a direct expression of a culture trying to understand itself mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's the value of his work mm.
1: well said all right are we done? We I think so more? all right yeah we can end it right
0: there all right perfect well said <laughs>